I'm about to be a parent. I got to tell you the truth. I never really thought I was going to be a mom. Uh, I don't think I um, saw that. I, I always thought, you know what's going to happen. I'm probably going to do this career of acting and who knows what else and maybe miss the bus. And right now I'm five days away from being a mother and I am overwhelmed with uh, anticipation, joy, and of course, uh, nervous, very nervous, Um, but more so joy of who this new little human being is about to be. And because of all of that, and including, um, this has been an interesting time in my life because for the past 12 weeks, I broke my ankle. And so I've been pretty much bed bound for the last trimester, which has given me a lot of time to think about life and the lessons of why this broken ankle now. And I like to think it was meant to teach me grace, how to be flexible, and maybe just how to be in the moment right now and really take in what this time of my life has meant to me and what this new chapter is about to become. And because of all of that, I thought it would be great to do a season, though a quick season, two episodes only, of parents who are artists, artists who are parents, and to hear their take on what has been revealed to them as they stepped into this new role as parent. And selfishly, I did it because I also wanted some advice. Okay, I got lots of questions. And I just wanted to be inspired and hear some great stories. So the first person we'll listen to today is Karen Pittman. She is a multi-talented actress who has been nominated for many different awards and you probably recognize her from tv shows like the americans horse and pete and right now you can catch her on the new season of marvel comics luke cage karen pittman talks about so many things okay i feel like she should just write a book okay for one thing we sort of tap into what is the spirit that is needed to be a parent or what she has found to be true for herself as at least. And also, what does it mean to parent when both your parents have passed away? What does it mean to be a single mother? What does it mean to raise a biracial child in the country that we have today? And most importantly, just what does it mean to be a parent? What does it mean to be an artist and a parent? Is it any different? Listen, and I'd love to hear what you think about the episode. Everybody, Karen Pitch. You don't recognize it's like being an actor is a spiritual pursuit, but being a parent is a deeply, deeply spiritual pursuit. And you get a taste of it when you have one child, but when the second child comes, you're like, Oh, I've got I've got to dig so much deeper. And that spiritual reserve, um, if you have any wounds or you're not able to access some of it, you recognize how um 
how you it, it, you just you recognize a deep deficiency that doesn't have anything to do with the day-to-day working of being a parent but what what you have to tap into as a child what you're from your child wounds so spiritual you sometimes need a spiritual healer to help you along in that pursuit and that's what Stella did for me at whole being alignment um and that, the catalyst was my mother's passing so I, it forced me back into... Um, I would think nothing like your mother. If you're the woman and your mother, even your dad, but your mother passing away and then confronting having to be a mother without your own mother here. And I had a very, like, I had a very strong mother. Um, she was um, raised picking cotton with my sharecropper grandfather to, you know, she was a first in her family. Karen was born in 1914. 42. <laughs> I am at a thousand years old. And my mother was, no, anyway. Um, but anyway, the truth of the matter is that she's super strong. First in her family to go to college. First in her family to finish grade school. First to do so much stuff. So her influence um, on my day-to-day life is enormous as a mother um so uh what you speak about this thing of the second child bringing out the wounds is i have a friend and that second child when it was his same sex Mm -hmm. the girl came out and he was fine yeah yeah the boy came out yes he said he got confronted yeah he actually projected he needs to write a book first of all because what he articulated to me is something that so many men because they're not actors and they don't do that much introspection Mm -hmm. they don't even know the words to get it out Mm -hmm. and he was like to see my own son Mm -hmm. brought back to him all the abuse he suffered Mm -hmm. in his own life with his own father Mm -hmm. and brothers and the men in his life in general especially the alpha men and the cycle of abuses now he has to be the abuser and it actually made him want to he this is the sweetest man okay Mm -hmm. And he said he looked at that boy and he was out watering the plants one morning mm-hmm. and he put together an entire plan to leave his family. He was like, and I'm leaving. And I'm leaving. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, because I despised my own child. He wasn't even two mm-hmm. weeks old. And I was already talking about how we got to toughen him up, toughen him up. And his wife was like, what are you talking about? He's two about? weeks old. He's two weeks. <laughs> Can't toughen oh. up a two week old. It doesn't work. So he had to see someone and he tried therapy and, you know, he saw a spiritualist that healed it all. And he said, oh, my gosh, this is where all my issues. And this is why he doesn't have that as many male friends as female friends because of the abuse he suffered. So to your point, it actually makes me think I always say, you know, if you want to get enlightened, get into a relationship. But maybe if you want to you want to take the next phase of enlightenment, have some children and see what that will bring. Well, you know, inherent to the relationship of a child to a parent a parent to a child it's supposed to be unconditional right and you want to feel as if you're worthy for that experience which is why you confront so many um things in the process i mean truly to have a child means you are worthy but you want to feel as if you are worthy so i do think you dig a little bit deeper to examine some of the wounds of your own childhood but it also depends upon you know, i don't think People change a lot once they become parents. Um, you essentially are the same person. Your issues are amplified. I don't think you make big, big shifts until you are forced to sacrifice um, a lifestyle that you don't, you aren't ready to, 
you you have to look in the oh I have to sacrifice a lot more than I thought I was gonna have to, have to sacrifice and the reflection of that in my life as a mother felt like being trapped like mm-hmm. I was trapped I couldn't um, I could not articulate my ambition in the world like I could when I was a single woman on my own doing my own thing and it wasn't as if wasn't as if I was all that enamored with the single life do you know what I mean I found much more purpose much more intentionality in being an actor who had children who pursued grad school as a as a reflection of a strong desire uh to be the best human being and actor and and of service to my work that I could like I, that was actually a, a stronger connection to my work than anything I experienced before that uh, when my son was born but um I still felt trapped I still felt like ooh, ooh, I lost I've lost something you know um but really I gained something well I think I don't even know if you if I don't know maybe it's worth considering not to even categorize it because I think uh, it could be both I mean, yeah, that's true. There's a great uh, something I heard today, and he said, uh, "TD Jakes, y'all, TD Jakes today." And I try to listen to something every morning if yeah. I can to that sort of cleanse the palate. Yeah. And he said something about you know there are a lot of people who have babies, and the baby proves that you're a woman, but it don't prove that you're a mother. That's right. No, it does not. And he says a lot of people get married, and it proves that you knew how to get the certificate, but not actually be a husband or what. And he's like, it has to cost you something. It really does. And so I think in a way, you know, just like in the Bible, it talks about you have to put away what your your toys or whatever that to become a man i think that must be true in every new phase of life you put away something to take out something else that's even a more valuable tool but to put away that first thing that you've had for so long because even right now i'm uh, i don't know how many weeks i've lost count i think i'm 32 33 weeks seven weeks away from my due date and i'm dealing with that now my subconscious mind is dealing with in a way that I can't even tangibly touch or speak about this thing of, I can feel doors are closing. And at the same time, I feel this thing in me of doors opening and there are doors that I've never been mature enough to want to open. Well, it, it's interesting because my perspective is that when you, when you decide to have a child, you know, because first you have to choose to choose it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then after you choose, to choose it and then you have the thing in front of you 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 not only have to it, it's a shift in perspective but your shit it's a shift that 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 is so enormous because it has to start where you heal your child self in order to bring your child the child that you want to have in the world so you're healing your child self and going back to all these things and combing through these i had this really crazy dream last night which is going to sound tangential but i love it no yes so i had this dream last (laughs) night that my daughter was um lost and and the thing that frightens me the most about um my having my daughter she 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 just tends to get lost and it frightens the heck out of me. So my daughter's lost in this dream. And uh, I'm trying to find her. I'm trying to find her. I'm trying to locate her. And I finally uh, get a call from her. Facebook. Uh, or a FaceTime call. And she's at the water on the beach near a lake. 
uh, near a boat. She's with some friend of hers. This is we're going on a boat. And of course, um, I believe in that Freudian. I, I don't ever connect with her, but I do know she's okay. And I wake up from this dream. And I do believe in that Freudian pursuit that everybody in your dream is you. So my daughter in my dream was me, right? And my daughter does look a lot like me. So yes. when I see her, I do see myself. And this idea of being lost and what it means to be there. And, and last night I was at a big award show where I, I felt like, oh, how wonderful. But I did feel it's in my essence a sense of lostness. Like, what am I doing here? What does What is this um, conflagration and amplification of ego that an actor experiences in awards ceremonies which have very little to do with what we are meant to do on this which is to reflect humanity it is such a reflection of our egos and our our physical attributes in an award show red carpet this that and the other i did feel a real sense of lostness in it and the fear of not ever getting back but my friend who I, in my life is great for me said you know what it may not be that it may be just that it's time to get out there and go all the way with it. Get out into the deep waters, get out there. And so, so it's, it's, get, get, go. Maybe she's not lost. Maybe the, 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 the young girl in your dream was actually trying to get out into a deeper, a wider space, expanse and expand herself. And she wasn't lost. She just called to tell you she was okay. And she was going out and, and going for to wherever she on her journey. Okay. It, was like, it, it was like you have, you have, but I of course have great people in my life who help keep things in perspective for me. It is a constant shifting of perspective is what I want to say about this life, about being a parent, about being an artist, about being an actor. I think it is, it is, um, a constant navigation and and uh, if you allow yourself to go deeper into it without fear and anxiety um, then you may find yourself coming into a brand new uh, life which is of course um, what being an artist is all about shifting perspectives and allowing yourself to get there um, two things you say that stand out to me one the ego around awards uh, and also strangely my stepmom when you were talking about that, my stepmom popped into my head. Uh, and the the awards thing, I really feel like um, the how award shows are right now are actually becoming passe. Hmm. And that it's going to evolve hmm. into something else. And the last award show I saw, it might have been the Oscars. I felt so uncomfortable the first time in my life watching the Oscars. Uh, probably because there's just so much other-ish we should be talking about other yeah. than just patting ourselves on the back. But more so I thought, the truth is to be nominated mm. is the win. Mm. So then I thought, why are we making into a competition of yeah. which one was the best? The truth is they were all amazing. Right. So it almost makes me feel like the future of awards should be, let's just celebrate the most memorable performances, yeah. period. Right. Because the one, I can't remember who won from one year to the next, but I can always tell you what movie I enjoyed last year right. and why. So something about the award show, the way that thing is put together, needs to be transformative because yeah. we're getting, I think our consciousness is getting too big yeah. for us to have something so um, ego-driven and focused and so small, especially since also this year people tried to make it about the Me Too movement. Yes. And I thought, exactly, if we're trying to make it about me too times up right. even about diversity because it was about you know white what oscars so what i mean actors the best actors i know 
uh, you included, usually have some type of passion, much bigger than just right. look at me on the red carpet. Right. It can't be amplified in that. In that. No, it's actually de-amplified. It's right. It's right. It contracts in that. It in contracts because yeah. it competes. And both those sort of ego of the flesh and of the spirit, right. you can't, you know, you automatically sort of cause one out. Right. And then the other thing that you made me think about is you talking about that dream. That dream is... First of all, you could, that sounds like a poem. That's like the new alchemist to me. You might need to write that down. <laughs> it's important for me to talk about it because I will forget that shit and it will come back in a, in a much more... Profound way. In, in, a, a, in, a, in a much more frightening way, actually, in my real life, my conscious life. But yes, go ahead. It's so... It's so I think that whole dream and also how it was uh, explained back to you, I think, is right on because so many of my girlfriends who have daughters... Mm. They all say, they look at their daughter, mm. and she's like, she looks just like me. And let me tell you something. Some of these people do not look like their daughters. Right. Um, so <laughs> I, I think there's something about that. So then I thought about my stepmom, and uh, I do not have a good relationship with my stepmom. Mm. And I feel like maybe part of it is when she looked at me, she saw the opposite of herself. So it was very hard, probably, yeah. Yeah. for her to love me uh, or love me the way I needed to be loved. Right. 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 And she just wrote me today because she saw, I wrote a long Facebook post. And I might, I'm sure I'm, I probably started the interview off by reading the Facebook post because that's sort of the energy I'm in right now. Mm-hmm. But my stepmom sent me an e- a text message saying, you know, who knows how long I have to live. And uh, I'm healthy, but you know, I love you and I always think about you. And I'm like, yeah. But my ego says to me, you weren't very kind as a stepmother growing up. Mm-hmm. You want to reap the rewards to be someone's grandmother mm-hmm. and be here for me now at mm-hmm. this point. And I feel like you don't deserve to be here for that mm-hmm. because you were not present in the way I needed you to be present mm-hmm. then. But now pregnant with this child, I think I should be more forgiving and soft because she didn't know. She ain't know. She ain't know, y'all. She ain't know. Well, and yeah. she might still not know. She still doesn't know. <laughs> People transgress, and they and they don't they don't know what um, how their words are going to affect you from day to day. They're trying to unburden themselves, right? Mm. Truth of the matter is that her for, in her forgiveness, in, in in forgiving her, it allows you the space to forgive that uh, space in you that maybe felt like that child wasn't enough. That's why she wasn't getting the love from her stepmother. Do you understand me? Maybe there was some sense of, I am not getting from my stepmother what I want because there's something wrong with Cassie. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It allows you to be in the place of being a mother Mm -hmm. to the child you were Mm. and taking care of her. And that's really been a, a sincere experience I've had as an adult, when my uh, mother passed away, I had a very, well, before she passed away, I had a really serious conversation with her because she was struggling with dying. And I said to her, I've told you this story before, but I'm gonna share it with people who are listening because I think it's important. I said to her, you know, mom, it's okay. You can go, because you have taught me so well. I can be my own mother now. I can be my own father. And I thank you. For it. I'm going to miss you, but you can go. It's okay. And, you know, a few months after she passed, I said, what the, why the hell did I say that? I need my mama. <laughs> but, but the onus was on me 
to really be a mother to myself, to really navigate that conversation. Because what child in my life needs a mother's love more than me? No child. No child more than me. So I went about the process of going back to these little, these, you know, we all have these voices that come up in our head from our childhood that are ourselves, you know, and go, go, but in these moments where Karen, little Karen would come up, it's okay, boo, you can go back to sleep. You all right. Mm. I'm okay. Mm. We're okay. I got you. You're going to be okay. Let's go get a milkshake. No, you're going to be fine. Let's get a green juice. No, let's go for it. Let's go out and play. Let's go get some new clothes. You know, I, I really have gotten into the place of being a mother to myself, and it's made the difference in my mothering of my children. It's made the difference in my friendships. It's allowed me a deeper sense sense of compassion and empathy for those people who have transgressed. And it gives me space to forgive them because it frees my little girl, it frees me, my, my small self. And I'm so, so grateful. That, that's one of the gifts in my mother's passing, that in letting her di- go, I did pull my motherhood all the way up to 100% because I, I, I made a covenant with her in, in many ways on her deathbed that if she would let go, I, I would be... Uh, a mother to myself, the mother that she couldn't be because she's got to go. You know, she couldn't be here physically. Mm-hmm. Now, my mother is still with me in memory and spirit in many ways. She was there with me last night at the awards ceremony cheering me on um, because she, my mother loved an award. She loved an achievement award, Do you know, a, an award and a reward. She did. They, they were the same thing mm-hmm, to her. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and that way is a it's a great thing, but I, I you know we do, we do have lots of mother figures in our our lives, and I I think it's important to examine how in forgiving those those people who transgress, we actually allow our allow ourselves to play and have more fun and and just get back to that. Do you know what I mean? You just I feel like just healed me. So that's the end of the interview. Right? Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> it's so funny. I wanted. When I found out I was pregnant, I remember I thought, oh my gosh, I should do a whole season of just parents who are artists. Because I feel like uh, usually as an artist, if you're on the red carpet in interviews, I feel like the sound bite, it's like a sound bite moment yeah. of how do you, the you know, the most basic question is how do you handle both? Being the parent and yes, the artist. On, on the red carpet. And it's so too much to say right. Right. in a right. two sentence. Don't you want to ask me who wrote, who, who? Who made my dress or my, <laughs> my shoes are from? <laughs> like we can't get into that Let's today. Let's talk about that on the record. And just selfishly, I thought there's so many people who I admire, and you're someone who comes up so much when people talk about mothers and single motherhood, yeah. especially people like Karen Pittman. Karen Pittman keeps a job <laughs> and keeps these children out <laughs> in these streets. And I love what you say. It makes me realize that maybe the. The strength is not what it appears to be, which no. is the strength may come from this thing of picking up the torch and saying, so now I have to mother myself, mm. which actually to even think it is painful mm. and yet so loving yes. at the same time. Oh, it's freeing. It's freedom. And I feel you saying that at least what resonated in me is the growing pains of yeah truly letting go mm-hmm. of the little girl yeah. in me. It's like she's always going to be there and I've had to take care of her so much. Yeah. But 
it's there's a new area of strength yeah. I need to even this whole thing of I've, this whole birth plan thing I you know, anyone who's had a baby, you, you might have a plan of how you want to have it. And I keep getting confronted with, with, with what if my husband doesn't make it on time? What if Tom doesn't make it on time? And then today, while I was sitting quietly, this voice came over me and it said, you don't actually have to have anyone there mm. to bring this baby here. Mm. Like there are women all over the world right now mm. having babies by themselves mm. in a room. Mm. Quiet. Mm. And so the voice was like, who told you you had to have anyone there? Mm. Like you first start with, you can do it. Yeah, that's true. You're, you're enough. You can just do it. You're enough. Okay. And anyone who else is there, there's this book I've been reading, the hypnobirthing book, uh, the Mondin method is the version I've read. And the opening of it talks a lot about how, why she became interested in hypnobirthing. And she said she saw a cat, her cat, have babies. Her cat was giving birth. Uh-oh. And the baby. You just lost me. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I'm back on the truck. I'm back on the... I know. Here we go. Here we go. It, it's going to come back for a second. <laughs> it's going to come back for a second. She went off and then she lost me, but I'm going to stay on it. Keep Here we go. It, it's going to come together. And it comes back. She says... Cause, and it's so funny you say because when she got there I was like almost put the book down I was right. like why are we talking about cats this white woman can we, we get on talk about the kitty cats being born now no. she said there was this cat and the cat was laying on, on her side uh, and she said the cat got so still and she was just a little girl herself like 12 or 13 and she could recognize from the way the cat was breathing something was happening yeah and that this baby this cat was having babies at this moment so the cat was just purring and it was like such a deep sounding purr. And she thought, I gotta help this cat. And so she starts to pet the cat and the cat came out of its trance and pushed her hand away. And she tried it again and the cat pushed her hand away and actually got up and moved away a few feet and laid back down. Interesting, yeah. So it could get back into her the focus, mindset. the mindset. Mm -hmm. And she said, oh, I'm here thinking she needs me. And she's like, this cat don't need my help. And so that was like the first moment in her life that changed her idea of like what birthing was supposed to be because her mom talks about her own birth of delivering her as being like the worst day of her life. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so many women actually talk about birth almost like it's like it's an honor of like how horrific. Let me tell them right. died tell that what day. Happened, right, yeah. And they tell you the story when it's my girl. No, let me tell you. Right. It's going to be horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it because other than humans, animals are like, give me some space. Okay. Let me take this spiritual moment in so I can let this baby out. And so <laughs> all this birth plans, I realized how Western culture, how like you know, first world problem I am of being like, I have this idea, you know, I need the candles, I need the right ceremony. Right. And then something today was like, you don't, it is not about that. Mm. It's not about that. Well, I love that you said you're enough. I mean, my sister had her baby, uh, three children, no drugs at all. And it, it really was about the people in the room allowing her because she was like I'm not taking any drugs she's a doctor she's like I'm not actually going to take any drugs I, I could take I have access I could actually give myself an epidural right um, <laughs> she can't that's a joke um, but it, it, she did you know it was about people in the room allowing her what that woman witnessed in the animal giving birth which was allowing her to tap into whatever 
uh, physical kinesthetic power that would allow her the stillness long enough to allow her to embrace and surrender to the birthing process. Because um, as you know, uh, real power in anything, acting, mothering, relationships, anything is a softening. Mm. It is a softening. Like you can't actually experience true, uh, true power. Now you can be, you know, the other. We, we talk about hard power, money, all that kind of stuff. That we was the, the physical reflection of power in this world, but true power um, comes from a softening, a vulnerability, and it takes great stillness to do that, especially in the midst of great pain, right? Or what is perceived to be the birthing process, which can be very painful, right? Anything creating. And, and you're a, so right, and they keep saying, you know, to give this baby's life. The, the the hypnobirthing coach I have, she's yeah. like, it's not about pushing. She's like, it's the opposite. Right. You're just trying to allow. You're just trying to allow. allow. Soft and soft and soft, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which goes against everything that is capitalistic right, 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 about right. Western culture. Let me push. push. Right. Get in control of Get this. Get out of my way. I'm going to. It's not that at all. It's it like, is a soft. Allow. Honey, that's a sound, but it's become a, it's actually a softening. And I can't tell you how many stories people have shared with me about that's the biggest change in their life, which was they, they softened up right. the places where they were That's rigid. Right. And let me tell you, between my ankle being broke, my house being flooded, That's birth right. plan change, right. I can name some other things. Uh, uh, it's all been about having to surrender and allow and still be soft and kind and loving to everyone at the same time. I, I have to ask you, as I switch gears abruptly, yeah. which is, you have two children. Um, and I have to just confess this, okay? okay. It's not much of a confession. Right. It's, 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 you know, I've seen so many, uh, my kids, my students have done this skit. Yeah. When I, when I teach at Fordham, uh, my kids have done this skit before. They've written this scene, and now I'm in that scene. Mm. And the scene is the, the couple who realize, what happens if we have a black boy? Mm. And your first kid... He's mm. a boy. Yes, he's a boy, right? And a biracial boy. That's right. Too. Right. And my first child will be a biracial. I don't know if it's going to be a girl or boy. And I am, I've had to really um, surrender to the, uh, I don't want to say fear, but mm-hmm. I guess just surrender to having a boy. If, if I actually have a boy in this world, mm. then I have to know God believes that I am you know, strong enough, smart enough to do what a boy will need because I am, I am worried having a boy in this culture. Uh, and I see how it has affected my, my brothers and my cousins and my nephew. And my nephew's very young. And I just remember what happened to him. I feel like there was the, the nephew I had before Trevon Martin happened and then after Trayvon and how his context about himself changed and the way he said it to me was I asked him how is he doing he's like well and I didn't even ask him about the verdict he just said to me well you know I guess if you're a black boy you have no rights so I guess if you're a black man you have no rights in this world and I thought what kind of human being comes out of believing that mm-hmm. at that age uh, so uh, in the world, I don't even know, remember what the world was like when Jacob was being born. Because that's 
05, like around right. grad school. Four, right, 04. I'm yeah. sorry, 2004. I'll be 14 next week, actually. Yeah. So how, what was that like? No, did you know ahead of time you were having a boy? I did, I did. I knew, I mean, people would I didn't even, before I was told I was having a boy, I was like, I'm having Jacob. Like, I knew that my baby was going to be a boy. I knew his name was going to be Jacob, and I knew he was sent to me. And um, I don't know how I knew it. I just knew it. So um, it's fascinating because, you know, I know your family is uh, very socially conscious. They're very much involved in social justice. Uh, I know your aunt and your uncle is very much involved in the reflection of how African-American art is perceived in this world and invested in that. So I know that um, you come from a family that is focused on that kind of life, sort of in your DNA, is this uh, uh, understanding of how we have to protect and honor um, African-Americans and our experience in this country. My son is biracial, but he presents white. So many mm-hmm. people, when they see him, uh, will ask him if he is Muslim, uh, right. ask him if he is Spanish. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll start talking Spanish to him, and he'll be like, I'm sorry, I don't speak Spanish. Um, and in fact, the other day, he brought to me a conversation um, where he said, you know, Mom, I, 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 am I, do I look black enough to use the N-word? Can I use what, How was he asked you this question? Just like a, few, a month ago, uh-huh. maybe. It, it, it's, it is a real, it's a, it was, Oof. and I was like, may I please have a drink now? Oh, <laughs> Lord. Am I black enough to use it? And, and a lot of it, a lot of that conversation is because one, he's around a lot of African-American kids. He's in junior high. Secondly, they had um, looked at something. ta Coates had answered the question for, on a video at some point and mm-hmm. presented this discussion about how do white kids use the n-word when songs come up that have the n-word in them mm-hmm. and, he, and and they showed that at a school who's extremely wow. extremely socially progressive wow. at the school i really Great love school. it in okay. and so i mean each child is it's a good question and it's a question i've heard many times right from parents of uh, biracial, biracial children mm-hmm. yeah do i what what is it of course you know in my lifetime i did use it i don't use it anymore i haven't used it many many years and um but i have people around me who use it i'm sitting here saying me too many many hours <laughs> i have friends who use it i'm dating a guy that uses it frequently you know um it's just it, it it's not my it's not my word do you know um but the point of how do you you know i don't raise, even know if the question is how do you raise but well, i guess how did your consciousness deal with it I mean, and you're right, and it, you know what, oh my goodness, someone actually said to me what you just said, which is, well, Cassie, your kid might not even come out looking black. And I well, said, well, first, I said, well, first of all, some of the most militant, angriest black people I know are light-skinned right. well, black Adam people. Adam Powell. Honey, Adam Clayton Powell, Thurgood Marshall. Muhammad okay. Ali. Uh, my, hello, Malcolm X. Malcolm X. <laughs> oh, shucks. <laughs> Jesse L. Williams. Anybody. Um, anybody. Anybody. I mean, the light, my family do not, on my mom's side, they do not look like me. They look like my hand side, not my black side. Mm. And they have, and I'm sure this might be Jacob, and it will be Jacob. They, the things that they hear people say because they think that they're not black is what has created them to be so angry because in a way they're like behind the sheet mm. and no one realized my my I have a, a cousin 
and she's a nurse. Excuse me, she's a doctor, but she was doing her, she was still young doing her rounds, you know. Yes, mm -hmm. as a resident. Thank you. Yeah, she was a resident at the time. And a doctor uh, couldn't save this black woman on the table. And he says, but he botched something mm -hmm. in the surgery. Mm -hmm. And he said, nobody's going to be checking for why, who, why, why this nigga didn't make it. That's what he said, this white man. Wow. And no one's going to be checking for why this nigga didn't make it. And because he looked around the table and assumed everyone was. And then he found out two weeks later, my cousin who looks, she could be, she looks like Tina. She could be anything. Right, she could be. Right. Like Jacob. Right. And he came up to him and he says, I just want to say, mm. I, you know, that just, you know. I bet you do want to say. Right. And it put her in a situation, you know, hashtag me too. You know, for black women, it's also this thing of color. Because for her, she was like, now, if I report on him, he's like the biggest surgeon here in the hospital. She's like, so even though that's what happened, I'm the one. She knew she'd be the one to get the right the pushback. And I feel like that is why being light-skinned makes you angry. Because right. you get to be there and see a first person. And see the thing. Where me and you, we walk in the room, people are like, oh, black person, put on right. your good face. Right. We love right. Uh, Obama. Right, right, exactly. That's their way in. It's a, you know, it's an interesting sort of, I'm not going to be as you won't be, right? We're only here for a little while in these human beings' lives that we put on the earth. You will be in your child's life for the time that they allow you, you know, they're, you're part of their journey, and then they go off on their own. I feel quite blessed to witness what my biracial son is going to experience as a, as a kid who's going to raise, be born and raised in Brooklyn. Mm. And that's a very different experience. I mean, his friends use the N-word in ways that my friends in the South did not use the N-word because in the southern part of the United States, it, it definitely carries all of the negative connotations when you hear it. But in, in Brooklyn, you know, it's, it's just the word to, of choice as far as this is my, this is my friend. Mm -hmm. This is my man. Mm -hmm. You know, this is my, you know, partner uh or 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 whatever you know we 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 have fun together whatever. i heard w come out bell say uh, yeah you ever watch it united shades that show's brilliant america's great uh and he was also the first guest on this show shout out to w come out bell. bell and he said about the n-word he's like you know the n-word is like one of the things like you know what do you call your mother and you know you say mother and he's like what does your father call your mother right and he might call her some nickname he's like now if someone comes in the house who ain't a part of that tribe right. and calls your mother by right. the same name your dad everyone would be like oh that's dad's word for mom. right 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 you right, ain't allowed right, to come right. in here and say right and me and tom have like cute words for each other but if i saw another woman mm -hmm. come into my home mm -hmm use that language towards him, I'd be like, excuse me, right. it ain't the N-word, but in this house it is. Okay. Right. It's right there, right you don't exactly. call him that. Right. Okay, he ain't your whatever. Right. Right. <laughs> That's how I feel about the N-word. It's so true how, depending where you're from, when you were born, all that kind of stuff, that word takes on a new meaning. And then to be biracial, have you seen, there's a documentary, it's a very short snippet document, and I say that like maybe a four-part, four-part, what is that, four-part like 10 minute documentary series oh. called The Loving Generation. I've heard of it, I haven't seen it. Honey, I made Tom and I, I made him watch one every day sure? just to start the conversation. And it's interesting because that, what you say comes up mm. about what's allowed, what's not allowed. But mm. the thing that was interesting, I think it's Alice Walker's um, daughter. Mm. Mm -hmm. Rebecca. Yes, Rebecca Walker. Very interesting, incredibly interesting human being. I hope to have her on the show too because her insight is really, yeah. she said she feels lucky to be 
biracial and to have had a black mother mm. because it's usually typically the mother who passes down history and tradition yeah and she's like her friends who might have had a white mother yeah these white mothers are doing the best they can right but they, they might can't fill it in they might not be able to fill it in all the way all mm. the way and mm. across the board on this documentary at least um all these kids who are the result of the loving generation mm. of that love being passed, mm. they all culturally talk about their cultural bonds come from the black side. Yeah. And I was saying this to, to my lover, Tom, and I said, you know, I feel like that's only because there's so many traditions that we take for granted that are just black culture. Right. And I said, but what is white culture? Mm. There, there is no, first of all, there is no thing as white culture. Like you Not can really. have German, Irish, mm. Italian culture. Mm. Um, but to be American, so many people have assimilated out of that region of there right so then the blackness does take over yeah if you're biracial because that's where some type of tradition origin something comes from right well in, in my case and in your case um my son is half jewish so his father is jewish secular jewish right mm -hmm. so he's not running to the synagogue every friday or tom's not 100 percent jewish right. like <laughs> his mama not jewish but tom's uh grandfather was a rabbi right, or something so, so close yeah so they have he has an experience of what jewish culture is like in his family and that would be so, so Jacob, and they practice do they practice jacob goes to a seder he goes oh, that's to, huge uh, a passover this spring he goes uh they have rosh hashanah they break the fast oh. for yom kippur um, of course, there's Hanukkah. Um, his cousin was uh, bat mitzvah this past year. He's 13. He will not do a bat mitzvah. Mm -hmm. um, bar mitzvah, rather. So I right. don't... I'm not quite... At any rate... That's very different, actually. It is. Because that's a whole... It's Look, I language. love Jewish people because they've got a serious culture there, y'all. Absolutely. So his, yeah. his experience of... Oh, he doesn't actually have a... He has this rich experience of Jewish culture as a reflection of the Caucasian part of his family. Mm -hmm. um, but he also has this experience of black culture, which is not a Southern experience, which was my experience. It is the experience of uh, black culture in Brooklyn, which you know is a, a, a an amalgam of African-American and Caribbean-American and, yeah. and Latino-American and Dominican and, yeah. and, and uh, Puerto Rican and Afri actually, you know, Nigerian yeah. and the Ghanaian and all of that. Because this, this particular city is a melting pot. So he sees it, you know, he goes to Madiba to have African food. And uh, then he comes to my house and, uh, you know, we're going through our black history uh, flashcards to find out who, you know. I right. got them cards, You too. got those cards. I saw them when <laughs> I came in. So, um, so yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. I don't know, you know, I think it's going to be a fascinating experience to see him go through high school and what that will be like and. Um, Isn't it amazing to have a kid, this, maybe this is true regardless, is to have a kid who, I, this must be true for all of us to a certain extent, to have a kid and realize their experience will not mirror our experience right. because of I'm from the South as well and I'm not biracial, obviously. Right. Right. Um, and I'll, I'm very, I'm actually excited for the type of life my child will have because mm. the things I longed for, this child will get. Mm. But mm. the things that have created me, this child will not get mm -hmm. in that in a very needle injection. It won't be that direct of a needle injection sort of way. It'll be diluted because I'll just be passing it down. Yeah, in some ways. In some you know, ways. I would say, it, it, yes, I would say that really, again, came to pass when I had my second child. My daughter, 
is from a relationship that I had after I got divorced. And um, I did not plan her pregnancy. I knew her father for about five months before I found out I was pregnant. When I found out I was pregnant, we weren't together. So I have had to experience from, you know, we tr obviously worked very hard to try to raise her together under one roof. It did not work for a lot of different reasons. And so part of my experience with my daughter is having to navigate as a parent uh, what it looks like to raise her with um, a father who's not in the house. Now she has a stepmother. Was never expecting to encounter a stepmother relationship with my daughter and help her and bring context to how that works. And um, now she has a little brother that her father has had with her stepmother. So it's like I have to give her context on how to deal with that and what that is and you know although all those other things that are important in how her life and her childhood are forming in that I have absolutely I've had no no control over but I'm like how do I how do I use this to create a wholesome experience for my daughter I have no damn idea that that was gonna happen and how do I make myself of service in it because I don't, I never expected it to, to occur in this mm -hmm. kind of a way. Like I never expected to be a co-parent, um, uh, certainly with my son's uh, father, but definitely not a second time. Like I was just not, that wasn't going to happen. I was going to raise my, my daughter. If I had any other children, I was going to raise them in a home where there were two parents there. And my life has shifted in that that isn't, um, that isn't going to be the way it is. And, um, in many ways in the beginning, I was like, well, fuck, this is horrible. But now, um, years later, I realized there really isn't any other way that I can do it. There's no, there would be no other way for me to um, experience being an actor and being, doing the work that I do in the way that I want to do it if I weren't a single um parent who had co-parents and we are supporting each other and raising our children together but we aren't necessarily having to do you know what I mean live in the same house obviously I, I would love to have a partner in my house helping me from the day to day but um that isn't the way it's turned out and it is another reflection of you know that thing that you experience in pregnancy which is surrendering the flexibility the figuring things out and it sounds constant... like to me even my girlfriend's and my family members who do have a husband. Yeah. It's still... It is a very solitary experience. It's I would say being solitary. a mother in yeah. some ways. It can be... You have to delve into a kind of a spirituality and uh, that you wouldn't have had to... A kind of a faith that you wouldn't have had to... Um, that you have to deal with anyway. Um, but I, I, I will say that it, it's just, obviously it's just physically it's, it would be easier it's physically easier right because then you have at least two other hands to run this way right why you run right that way but i have to give a lot of credit to my to my co-parents who do the work they do it you know they they create it um one of the things that was important though early on in the process of becoming a co-parent with them was and they're both here in they're both city, here in brooklyn which is a blessing which too. is a great thing yeah. Navigating that experience with them was saying to them, I am not, not going to be an actor. I am mm. going to continue to pursue mm. my career. Mm. Right. So you'll have to figure out how to step up to the plate. Um, spiritually, mentally, physically, financially. Because I'm not going to stop. 
That's huge. In order to fulfill my my role role in in this my my covenant my covenant with God is that I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve by using my gifts. My gifts are not specific to just raising children in this world. Although I aim to be the best uh, mother that I can be in this world, my gifts are also uh, talents are geared toward enlightening on a, on the biggest and broadest platform I can by using my gifts of acting or theater or singing, whatever that is. And I need your help in doing that. In fact, I demand it. You're going to have to be there in a way that you probably aren't going to be too comfortable. And um, so you, we're, we're going to figure it out together, but I'm, I'm going to ask you to do things that you might not feel comfortable with. And of course, you, I figured out how to nuance that conversation because you can't go to any man and say, I need this with them being like, <laughs> you ain't my mama. <laughs> that ain't a good conversation. So you figure out how to nuance that conversation, articulate yourself well, and um, navigate it. That says a lot about them because, whoo, how many relationships I had to end because people thought, for some reason, my love of you means I will put down. I'm going to have to put down everything I have to do here. But that's also, I also think that that's part of the tradition of women that I saw growing up. Me and my mother made many, many sacrifices for us as a family. I have four other siblings. So obviously, if you are a, you know, African-American woman in the 80s, you know what I mean? You can't do, you can't do, you got five children, you're going to have to Mm. raise those. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, You got to be there. Do you know what I mean? You can't be running around. Um... So, um, but the truth of the matter is that from my perspective, I saw how, um, I I wanted her to, to have more of a life, more of a way of articulating herself. My mother was brilliant. You know, she was a scientist and she worked for NASA and she worked for lots of, uh, for the government. She a hidden figure. She was a hidden figure. Yeah. She really was. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, um, Karen, uh, we're, we're going to wrap this up soon. Let's wrap it. Um, I just want to say, I'm interested too, if this, this is probably the last question, is, you know, for me, I, I, I didn't grow up in a house with an artist. You know, my father was a, like first black television news reporter, yeah. like a Black Panther, mm-hmm. civil rights sort mm. of, you know, ran po- politics, all right. that kind of stuff, and then ended up as a school teacher right. for high school. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I did see him give speeches, like constantly. Yes. Uh, whether it was at, in the pulpit or some type of forum. Yeah. And that greatly affected my life, mm. seeing my father in a spotlight position like that. That's right. Where everyone saw him as someone of uh, worth. Like if something happened in the black community, he'd be that Negro. They go to Mr. Freeman. Tell us how the Negro community <laughs> feels. How we should respond. How, yeah. How do they, and how do we should respond? That's the type of person. And that's even true on my mom's side of it with my grandfather. Yeah. But again, no one's an artist, but something about his life, I felt like was very creative actually, because it was constantly morphing. Yeah. Uh, and I'm so happy I got to have that experience. And so I'm just wondering, have you, I don't know if you can even articulate it maybe, but what is the experience of your children seeing you in the spotlight? Because having a spotlight job as an actor is different. And my friends who don't have spotlight jobs, 
in that sort of way, I say this is why they created this thing called Bring Your Kids to Work Day. Yeah. Because it is very transformative for kids to see their parents in the spotlight yeah. or in their element. Right. I think uh, my my kids don't care. Do you know what I mean? Like they don't care. <laughs> <laughs> At least it appears they don't care. They they I don't think they'll understand it until they get much much older. And you'll experience this. That's true. Um, parenting is a long game. It's the long. It's the longest game Cassie it is not you don't make decisions now for your baby that they're actually going to understand or appreciate until you are dead and gone or they are about to have a baby of their own like it's the longest game so when my kids experience me and they they come to my place sometimes or my daughter goes to my dressing room and tries on my makeup and you know they're at the stage door when people want my autograph or they'll see the pictures of me online from the award show they just know, you know, why weren't you here making pancakes for us this morning? What, what, what? You do know you work mm, here too, it's right? It's so true. So they're not, they're, they don't care. They want me there for them. Do you know? Like, I, I, I'll go see your play, but you know, you missed my play last year. So it's that, it's that kind of a, um, it is that kind of a thing. I don't, I, but I do think, so I'm, do, I'm doing a, I'm doing the, MFA, I'm doing a commencement speech at Harvard in May, the MFA. Oh, I'm so happy you mentioned that. That's right. Yes. And so, they they do have an understanding of oh you going what you doing you going to Harvard stop up so, so they that know, made them stutter they know that that's a big deal and but they don't want to come right they're like oh well go have fun but no we're gonna be here with our friends do you know what I mean so there there are some things that they that they think are a big deal and of course they watch Luke Cage so they know that's a thing Marvel comics. You're so right, because, you know, I don't think I appreciated Mm-mm. who my father was. Obviously, I appreciated him a few years after he died, and I could cope with that. Right. But, and I think also, I started to appreciate my parents maybe a little bit more, maybe in grad school, when you start to hear other people's parents, yeah. and you start to see, like, the difference, right. or the lack of, like, they might say this, and you're just like, really, that's what you got? Because right. you know what I got? But at the same time, you might hear some people like, oh, I didn't get that. Right, right. My house didn't even have doorknobs. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, shit. Well, that is the, yeah, I mean, that is the, um, that's the joy of being a parent who's an artist. I will say that my work at NYU really influenced the the female teachers I had there, Janet Zarish and um, Deb Hecht and Beverly Weideman and um, Shane Ann. They really, really influenced my perspective on what it meant to allow your imagination and your sense of playfulness to exist in your life and to be a female artist with a voice. I mean, they they really, so that brought out a lot of strength in my mothering and in my parenthood. What, Um, because FYI people listening, I don't think they know, not everyone knows obviously that you were pregnant when you auditioned to get into NYU, to get NYU. and therefore a mother while you matriculated. Right. And man, you know, I remember seeing you audition thinking that ain't going to happen. Yeah. Um, me too. And, <laughs> and then it happened and it's taken me this many years to really reflect on, whoa, your experience with teachers are on a different level yeah. than it is for most of us because, because we're not parents. Right. Uh, our relationship, I would say was more parental instead of, um, for you, which sounds more like, you know, guidance, guideposts, I don't right. know, reflections. Right, because in, in nurturing me, 
they were nurturing and nurturing me in my imagination, unbeknownst to them, they were nurturing my children. Mm-hmm. Now, Zelda Fachandler, who was head of the program at the time, knew that. She knew it, understood it. Mm-hmm. Because she, I think, is, was a woman. same cloth. Right. She had, great, she had a great desire to articulate herself in the world through her ambition, but also wanted to be a mother and, and try to be good at that. Um, but yeah, I mean... You know, it's it's a unique and and wonderful position to be to be an artist and to be um, a parent and to be a mother and I I intentionally did it this way. I would not change a thing, um, and it's uh it's important. I think you'll find that your uh, imagination is much more activated than it would be if you had just decided to just do it because you you have to be so creative. You have to be so spur of the moment. You cannot sit back on any impulse as a mother. You, you may not. You're not allowed to. You have to go with it. You have to tap into your instincts. You have to listen. I find that mothering is the gift that keeps giving as far as my acting is concerned. Um, it's just, it's it's great. It's wonderful. Uh, you're great. You're wonderful. Yay! Uh, that's a perfect note to end on mothering. It's the best Thing for your career, y'all. I don't think I've heard. I haven't heard anyone else uh, frame it in that sort of way. Which goes back to the beginning of you know, it, it, whatever you think it takes, it, it gives back. It's true. It was Oduba when I saw, um, was hanging out with her. She said, you know, I saw you year just while you were pregnant with Lena, and I remember you saying to me, I didn't want to have a whole bunch of Oscars and 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 statuettes on my shelf at the end of my life I want to have children around me I want to have children around me to witness my life and not just a bunch of stuff that reflected my work and I never forgot that and I was like did I say that shit she was like yes you did I was like well I do want a few statuettes but it'd be good if my kids be nice if if they showed up that's up to them but um well as my as my friend said to me as I've been saying, this whole I'm so big about the, the 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 wrongness of capitalism, the opportunities to give. I don't know it 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 does not outweigh the the punishments that it gives the people. No, that's true. And I said, you know, the problem with capitalism is that, you know, these commercials will tell you if you have this, then you will have that. Mm. Like you need more, and like and then put value in this name of Louis Vuitton, Gucci, right. what these names when really the only name that matters is your own last name. Right. That is the biggest brand you could ever have, and your greatest treasure will be your children and your family. I know that to be true. It is your greatest treasure. I know that. And to so be true. I love this note of what you're saying about mothering of course mothering is the greatest creative task and it, it did not occur to me i wanted to be a mother until i did the real mvp of all oh. things and it's funny at the end of that is when what you said hit me which was oh my goodness this woman was constant she was on her toes constantly tap dancing and she had two black boys in that house tall Tall, not 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 a little tiny, but this is no. these take her out physically. Do you know what I mean? Exactly, and the world would want to take those men out yes, as well. Yes, and somehow she tap danced her way right. and finding a way for both of them. And at the end of that, I was like, "What is more creative and challenging than to be a mother?" And the reason I love being an actor is that these roles that I say yes to it often make me feel like I can never do this. I don't know why they gave me this role. I ain't gonna be able to pull this off. Mm-hmm. And then of course I rise to the 
the occasion and I at least hope I've done service. And I'm like, that is, what is more scary than being a mother and hoping to rise to the occasion? Well, you get to talk to Sanjit De Silva mm-hmm. next time. Yeah. And he will tell you what could be, <laughs> he might give you some insight on what could be scarier, which is being a dad in the business. I mean, because you, you do have that responsibility of being provider being physical provider of protecting of taking care of providing a home and he's got such an interesting history life history mm-hmm, life how history. he lived and got to the point where he could uh, be an artist just even decide I'm going to be an artist and his life so courageous to even oh, pick that oh his life I cannot wait to speak to the Mr. Sanjit Sanjit uh, thank you Karen thank you baby <laughs> thank you that was great that was